Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Europe Alex podcast. I'm Gabriel Hedengren, and with me today is not our very good friend Ewan Healy, but fear not, I will be bringing you all the headlines from across our lovely continent this time on my own, and Ewan will be back in our next episode, so don't you fret. The past few weeks have been very intense for all of us at Europe Alex, which I'm sure a lot of you listeners will relate to as well. Today, we will be checking in with electoral events in France, Slovenia, Hungary, and Serbia, and also report on some news out of Ukraine. Beyond that, we have a ton of polling highlights, which, as you know, is my favorite segment. But before we jump into all of this, we have a little message on how you can support us at Europlex. If you like this podcast and want to help us grow, be sure to subscribe and drop us a review on whichever platform you listen to us on, including now with Spotify's all-new rating system on Spotify. And of course, tell your friends about us. That would mean the absolute world, of course. Also, if you have an idea for a segment, thoughts on a topic we should be covering, or of course, if you just want to say hi, drop us an email at podcast at europalex.eu. Also, Europalex now has merch. Do you want to support us? Are you a polling election nerd like us and just want everybody to know about it? Head on to europelex.redbubble.com and check out all the mugs, maps, t-shirts, stickers, and more that we are producing for you. We're really excited about it and our team is working on more designs all the time. Let us know how you like them. We at Europlex are run wholly by volunteers. We aren't funded by big donors and everything we do, including this very podcast here, is only possible with the help of our supporters. And of course, we always want to carry on what we're doing and do so much more. We've started sharing exclusive discussions, special content, and more via our Patreon. Access all of it from as little as one euro a month. Don't miss out and support us by becoming a patron on Patreon. Now let's jump into our main stories for this episode. We, of course, begin this headlines episode with the most talked about election of the month, the Slovenian elections. Slovenia headed to the polls on April 24th when it elected its 19th member National Assembly. The elections tested the incumbent, Janis Jansa, who pursued a hardline right-wing political program and has been considered a close ally of the Hungarian Prime Minister Viktor Orban. A major surprise of the campaign was the emergence of the freedom movement around a year prior to the election, but really taking off just from the start of 2022. This will be the grey bar with the abbreviation of GS that you will have seen in our charts. It really sticks out when we publish the polls from Slovenia. The freedom movement, or Gibanya Svoboda, has a social liberal, eco-friendly and pro-European profile and is led by businessman Robert Golub. On the election night, the freedom movement performed very well, gaining 41 out of 90 seats with 34.5% of the vote. And mind you, this is a party with zero seats going into this campaign. So while 41 out of 90 is very good, it's not an absolute majority. But that said, it is the highest number of seats a party has ever gained in Slovenian elections. So it really is a landslide and a remarkable development. The ruling SDS party, led by Jansha that I just mentioned, got 27 seats with a quarter of the total vote share. 
This is actually two seats more than in 2018 when the last elections were held. But again, that wasn't enough to make sure that they could remain in government, which came down to the utter failure of many of its coalition partners. The other parties that will be part of the upcoming parliament are the center-right New Slovenia party with eight seats, the center-left Social Democrats with seven seats, and the left-wing Levica with five. In total, that means that there will be only five parties in the Slovenian parliament, which is the lowest number in Slovenian history and down from nine previously. So you could say it's a real slaughter of parties and a consolidation uh, around these two major parties now, the freedom movement with Golub and the SDS with Jansa. It's looking very likely that the freedom movement will form some kind of partnership with the Social Democrats to get its majority. And there are even discussions about Levica, which is more left-wing, also getting involved. But it remains to be seen the exact construction that will underlie the freedom movement's government. But it would be very interesting, obviously, to see what comes out of it and the effect it will have on European politics. So the freedom movement currently isn't affiliated to any group, but has this green liberal profile. So it's really unique in that sense as a green party of government going forward. So stay posted on further developments in Slovenia. And now, on the same day as Slovenia went to the polls, France held the second round of its presidential election. And you will obviously be very much aware of this and the outcome. Uh, it was everywhere. It's one of those electoral events that no one really misses um, in Europe. Just to do a quick recap anyway, we should say that the first round took place on April 10, and the incumbent president, Emmanuel Macron, of the liberal La République en Marche, took first place, receiving 27.8% of the vote, which was a 4% rise on his result in 2017. And then he was followed once again by Marine Le Pen of the right-wing Rassemblement National, with 23.2% of the vote, which was also a gain on 2017, uh, albeit a bit smaller, around 2%. Close third, but failing to be in the runoff, was Jean-Luc Mélenchon, the left-wing La France Insoumise candidate, who got 22%, which uh, also was a gain on 2017. So you had these three continuity candidates consolidating their support. And as you all be aware, we now have this three-tier political uh, system slash dynamic in France emerging, which is revolutionary to the country. The rest of the candidates that did not make it to the second round include Eric Zemmour, the far-right Reconquête candidate that received 7.1%, way below uh, what some polls were putting him at earlier this year. Valérie Picresse of the centre-right Les Républicains got 4.8%, which was a very significant fall from the 20% Les Républicains received in 2017 and the lowest the centre-right party has ever received in the history of French politics. Yannick Cadeau of the Green Europe Ecologie Les Verts got 4.6%. Jean Lassalle of the centre-right Résistant got 3.1%. Fabien Roussel of the Communist Party Communiste Français got 2.3%. Nicolas Dupont-Aignan of the National Conservative Debout la France got 2.1%. And then finally, Anne Hidalgo, the presidential candidate for the centre-left Socialist Party, the party of François Hollande, Recently, as five years ago, they were the party of the president. She got 1.8% of the vote in the first round, which is the lowest result ever for the party. And while they did poorly in 2017 already, so technically the, the election on election collapse of the Republicain 
is larger, they sort of survived a bit longer. It's still remarkable for them to get such a low result. Uh, I mean, in most countries in Europe, 1.8% doesn't get you a single seat anywhere. So it'll be very interesting to see what this means for the party, if they're just going to disappear. And again, how they're going to relate to Mélenchon's movement now being, you know, the undisputed leader of the French left. Along the smaller parties, there was also the far-left Nouveau Parti Anticapitaliste with Philippe Poutou that got a bit less than 1%. And another far-left party, Lutte Ouvrière, they got 0.6%. So again, classic, I guess, lots of splintering on the left with Mélenchon pulling ahead. The second round then, which was a rematch between Macron and Le Pen, was expected to be much tighter than in 2017. And while Le Pen did increase her support, Macron's lead was still quite wide in the end, and it was widening as the second round campaign went on. The liberal incumbent received 58.5% of the vote, compared to 41.5% for Le Pen. So, you know, by any measure, that's a super wide margin. But then I guess people will analyze Le Pen's result with different measures because of the nature of the party and the history of Le Pen. But in the end, Macron sort of sailed through this election campaign, which means that in the future, we won't look back at this as a super exciting electoral event. Uh, Probably the upcoming parliamentary elections will be uh, more thrilling. And just to put Emmanuel Macron's win in perspective, uh, he's the fourth president of France to be re-elected in the Fifth Republic. So that puts him in an elite group, and it's not obvious by any measure for presidents in France to be re-elected We saw Sarkozy fail to do it. We saw Hollande fail to do it. And due to the dynamics of this era in French politics, Macron has now done it as well. However, as you'll know, when you have such a polarized situation as the second round have been in the past few elections, a lot of voters vote against rather than for a candidate. And it seems like that very much uh, happened with Macron this time. To illustrate this, a BVA poll for RTL and Orange has shown that 66% of respondents currently do not want his party to obtain a majority of seats in the National Assembly. So you have lots of voters that have, you know, lent him their vote to avoid Le Pen and looking forward to the legislative elections, want to obstruct his position as president. It's very French to me. Um, These elections aren't until June, so we have a month and a half or something like that to, you know, get more data, analyze the situation, and then obviously cover those elections very closely. Anyone who follows polling in Europe knows that political party polls for parliamentary elections in France basically don't exist. This is sort of a nightmare for us when we try and do our projections, etc. But obviously, this will be high season for such polls. So it's definitely worth looking out in our feed for those. And due to the nature of French elections, there are going to be lots of different alliances. And I know there'll be lots of debate about (laughs) how to group them in the various polls and then try and predict the seat number. So I'm sure there'll be lots of debate in our feeds as well. But yeah, looking forward to this campaign very much. Before moving on to other news, we should also quickly mention the results of the two elections that kicked off uh, this lovely month of April. On April 3rd, we saw Hungary and Serbia go to the polls as well. More specifically, Hungary held a national parliamentary election where the right-wing party of the incumbent Prime Minister Viktor Orban declared victory quite comfortably in the end. 
his coalition received more than 52% of the vote. As a result, this alliance between Fidesz and KDNP gained 135 seats, which is two more than in 2018, marking a very clear undisputed victory against the opposition alliance United for Hungary that gained only 57 seats. So a huge blow for the opposition in Hungary. Do listen to the podcast I did a couple of weeks ago, putting this into perspective as the various reasons for Orban's victory. You know, it's obviously a mix of him having popular support, having media control, and it's very specific, somehow worrying, interesting situation in Hungary. But again, Orban's managed to use the system to his favor and secure a very comfortable win. It marks his fourth term in office, a fact that, you know, is causing alarm among the heads of governments of other member states of the EU. That's not going away. You all know that Fidesz got kicked out of the European People's Party, so the centre-right grouping in the European Parliament. Everyone's very suspicious of Orban, and he's sort of playing a double game at the moment. But again, going strong in terms of uh, Hungarian election results. And it'll be interesting to see if the opposition manages to change his tactics or how they will regroup uh, going forward to the next elections and to see you know, what the situation in Hungary is at that time. As for Serbia, presidential and parliamentary elections were held on the same day, so April 3rd as well, with Aleksandr Vucic winning 58.5% of the vote and his party 43% in their respective races. So although Vucic secured the victory with no runoff because he got a very clear majority, he saw his party, the Serbian Progressive Party, or SNS, fall in its support dramatically from 2022. And he's now forced to form a coalition with a number of junior partners in order to form a government. So it was good for Vucic individually as a president, but a much more complicated parliamentary situation for him in Serbia. This fall, however, was expected as a lot of the opposition parties boycotted the previous elections. You will remember when we reported on it back in 2020. So that meant that in the previous elections, they got 65% of the vote because of this boycott. So uh, it was inevitable for them to fall, but people were wondering whether it would go below 50% and what that would mean. This time around, the opposition did take part. And even though they weren't super successful, it's become harder for Vucic to govern going forward. We should, of course, note when it comes to electoral events, that based on the latest VDEM index and the regimes of the world classification system that we use, both Serbia and Hungary are classified as electoral autocracies. So, you know, there are reasons to, you know, doubt the exact outcomes of the elections. It's very complex to wrap your head around the various irregularities and how the systems are rigged. Uh, but still, uh, we cover all elections and Vucic and Orban sort of rode on this incumbent wave that we've been seeing this year in Europe with the Slovenia ele elections so far being, you know, the real remarkable exception to that. Finally, as we record this podcast, Russia is in the process of holding an independence referendum in Kherson, which is in the south of Ukraine, just, just north of uh, occupy Crimea. According to the Ukrainian government, the referendum is geared towards the creation of a Kherson People's Republic. And if that sounds familiar, this is basically using the same strategy that Russia's used in Donbass region of Ukraine, 
with the creation of the Donetsk and Luhansk People's Republics, which were recognized by the Kremlin as independent right before the invasion of Ukraine began. It was very much part of uh, the justification of the invasion of Ukraine. And it really seems that Russia is trying to do the same thing in Kherson. In fact, there are even reports of another such referendum being planned for the merger of Donetsk and Luhansk. Now, according to media reports, it is by the time of recording unclear whether the referendum has gone forward as planned. It's very hard to follow. Obviously, there's not a lot of media on the ground covering this in a reliable way. Also, there's been protests held by locals against these referendums. And obviously, they've been met with violence and tear gas and stun grenades, etc. In any way, it is clear that any result produced in Ukraine at the moment, and especially in an occupied region, will fail to get any real legitimacy, really. That said, we will monitor developments and report on what happens, report on what Russia is claiming that these referendums say, and obviously the results of that uh, politically. Before we go into my favorite section, uh, the polling highlights, we should mention a few upcoming elections that you should definitely keep an eye out for. Want to know is the indirect presidential election in Albania, very niche, uh, but for some direct ones, we will turn our attention to the British Isles over the next week or so. Because on May 5th, around 200 councils in England, Scotland and Wales will be elected in the country's local elections, while Northern Ireland will be holding its assembly election. A few days after that, on May 8th, the German Landtag of Schleswig-Holstein, so that's the northernmost region bordering Denmark, they'll also be holding a state election, uh, which will be interesting to see any changes or impacts, obviously, of the last few months of very intense politics following the Bundestag elections last fall that led to Scholz taking over the federal government. So it'll be interesting to see if there are any readjustment that's going on still now in terms of state politics in Schleswig-Holstein, especially between the two mainstream parties, CDU and SDP. Of course, Europelex will be covering all these elections across our platforms and bring you the results in our next Headlines episode as well and live as soon as we can get our hands of them online in our feeds. Finally, we've reached our polling highlights. We're going to begin in Finland, where the center-right Kokomus received 26.1% in a Talos Tutkimus poll recently. This is an all-time high in the pollsters' polling history since 1994. And if they had that result in an election, it would be the highest result for the party since 1918. In fact, in the last election in 2019, just three years ago, they received 17% of the vote. So that's a 9% rise in just a few years, which for Scandinavian politics is huge. It's not like Slovenia, where you have new parties emerge with 25% and swings of 10, 15%, basically, uh, every election, you know, having these huge movements in between is uh, quite interesting to see. In neighboring Sweden, the centre-left Social Democrats are also uh, riding high at the moment. They reached 34.7 in a recent poll by Goop. This is the highest polling result for the party since May 2014. And if they got 34.7% in the elections later on this year, it would be the party's best result since 2006. Lots of things are happening in Scandinavia at the moment, sort of going against what I said previously about there not being lots of movement. That trend is being busted right now. In Norway, the centrist agrarian center party is on a downward trajectory. 
and just keeps scoring record lows in polls. So if you recall, in our previous polling highlights, they got 6.6% in Norset poll. Well, now in North Sakta, they've got 6.1%, which is the lowest polling result since December 2016, and a big tumble from the 13.5% they got last September when the country had its parliamentary elections. And you'll remember about, you know, 14, 15 months ago on the podcast, I spoke with a center party MP. And at that time, it was, you know, rumored, can they become the biggest party? They were riding super high. And then in the year leading to elections, they were already dropping. And that's just continued since. For another significant shift, we visit the Netherlands, which is more common uh, in our polling highlights section. And what we're seeing now is that the agrarian BBB reached a record high in the pale seat projection. You know, it's continuing sort of a slow and steady rise that's seen since it entered parliament. In 2021, it received just 1%. It's now have a projected at 10 seats. So it's really one of the parties there that's growing. It's growing incrementally, which is obviously a good sign for any party because it's seen it's a bit more sustainable. Don't quote me on it, but it's definitely an interesting sort of long-term trend over the past, uh, past year or so. Also in the Netherlands, and I know research polls shows a record high of 1.3% for the right-wing BVNL party. Uh, the party was formed in 2021 by three members of parliament who were previously part of the right-wing FVD. It is worth noting that more changes should be expected out of the Netherlands, as scenario polls have shown that a potential party by Peter Omsicht would be very successful and basically upend the current party system in Netherlands, not by lowering the number of parties, of course, it just keeps growing in Netherlands. It's insane. There's just always room for more. So while Slovenia goes from nine to five parties, who knows where it will end in the Netherlands. We're going to wrap up by going to Southern Europe, first Italy, where the populist Italexit party reached an all-time record high of 3.5% in a Euromedia poll. The electoral threshold for proportionalists in Italy is 3%. So if they did get 3.5% in an election, it would bring them into parliament. And obviously in Italy, there's been this very interesting development of splinters on the right, but not splinters with parties, you know, just getting 3, 3.5%, but eventually getting up in double figures. You had Lega, then you had the Fratelli d'Italia, sort of entering the wedge to the right of them. And I have this other populist right-wing movement into Lexit, obviously, as the name implies, focusing very much on Euroscepticism, sort of also squeezing into that space. So definitely interesting to see whether this is sustainable or if it's just a blip. There's just no way of knowing that in advance. Uh, so just keep on following our feeds to see. Finally, in Portugal, the Liberal IL party reached 7.9% in an Aximaga poll. This would be a 3% increase on its election result earlier this year, which was its best result ever. That's all the news and all the polling highlights from around the continent. Lots to digest, lots happening. April's been particularly intense with elections, as you will have just realized. There will be more fun quirky things going on over the coming months before we enter again the more intense period in the fall. Uh, but do stay with us. Do listen to our podcast. We have lots of interesting guests and analysis coming up over the coming weeks. So thank you so much for all your support. And I look forward to seeing you next time.
Thank you for listening to the EuropeLex podcast. To stay up to date with European politics, make sure you subscribe and of course follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, LinkedIn, Telegram, Vcontacta and YouTube. We're spreading out wherever we can. So do please follow us. There's no excuse not to anymore. You can find us at EuropeLex.eu and at EuropeLex across all social media and at Europe underscore Lex on Instagram. See you next time. You've been listening to the EuropeLex podcast, hosted by me, Ewan Healy, and my colleague, Gabriel Hedengren. The managing editor was Polychronos Karampalas. The script was written by our hosts and our writing team, Matthew Nicholson, Jorgos Kokoris, Guillaume Ferreira de Senda, Yanis Ashakian, and Yavi Debad. The music was by Jose Alvarado, and everything we do wouldn't be possible without our patrons from Patreon. Hello, hello, hello.